Please turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5 and going through verse 14. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. If you have your Trinity, excuse me, Trinity Psalter, please turn with me to the back to Westminster Larger Catechism question on page 90, uh, 942, question 35. It's on page 943, excuse me. Question 35 of the Westminster Larger Catechism on page 943. How is the covenant of grace administered? I meant 34. (laughs) Excuse me. Question 34. How is the covenant of grace administered under the Old Testament? The covenant of grace was administered under the Old Testament by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Passover, and other types and ordinances, which did all foresignify Christ then to come, and were for that time sufficient to build up the the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they then had full remission of sins and eternal salvation. Please turn with me a couple of pages over to page 946. And there I'll read question 66. What is that union which the elect have with Christ? The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling.
When I was young, I had a dog named Calvin. He was not named after John Calvin. I didn't know who John Calvin was. But Calvin had come from a home where we didn't know what the background was, but he was, the instant he, he arrived in our household, he was very afraid. We weren't sure exactly his background. It took him a long time for Calvin to adjust to the life under a new household and under a new master. I imagine that if a dog is taken from an abused home and put in an a ordinary home, it may take him a long time to adjust. I sometimes think Calvin was kind of a metaphor for the Christian life or the Bible in this way. The Bible is about how we have a new master. That's the first point I want us to make. The Bible is about how we have a new master. That's the first thing I would like us to talk about. But secondly, how does this master benefit you and I? So first, how the Bible is about a new master. Second, how does this master benefit us? First, the Bible is about our new master. I was given also, when I was a young boy, an NIV Bible. It was a blue NIV Bible. I still have it today. I remember being very confused when I would try to read from the very beginning of the Bible. I wouldn't get very far. I was very confused about how all of the information in the Old Testament, where there's a lot of information in the Old Testament, and it's a lot of information that's hard for a child to read. I was confused by how that information related to the Lord Jesus Christ that we find in the New Testament. I didn't know how to read my Bible. And it would have helped me to have had a good lesson on what the Bible's about. And, and so in some ways I'm preaching to me as a, as a young child and, and as, a, as a young man. But Genesis 3.15, right after the fall of Adam... God says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now the he that shall bruise the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15 is a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of, of the Bible, we have Adam who was in some ways, you might say our representative or our master, and Adam fell. And the Bible is about how we need a new master. Because Adam fell, the human race was plunged into the tyranny of Satan, the tyranny of, of sin. It reigns over us. It rules. You're enslaved to sin apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the Bible is about the need for a new master and how this new master presents himself on the pages not only of the New Testament, but of the Old Testament. That's why I had us read the, the Westminster Larger Catechism that told us how is it that the covenant of grace is administered in the Old Testament. Now, don't let that, that phrase, the covenant of grace, scare you. Uh, a covenant is a bond. A covenant is, O. Palmer Robertson would say, a bond in blood sovereignly administered. From the very beginning, since the fall of Adam and before the fall, 
we were united to Adam in a bond. But since that fall, we've, we've needed a new master. And let me illustrate to you a few ways in which the, the gospel is proclaimed to us even in the Old Testament. And I'm going to cite the New Testament to tell us how it is proclaimed even in the Old. Here's Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, says this. Paul is writing about Abraham, and he says this, "'Know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham.'" The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He goes on to say that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham would come to the Gentiles and that we would receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. What Paul is is saying here is that the promises, the prophecies, the sacrifices, the circumcision that was given as a a covenant given with Abraham, these signs, symbols, promises, prophecies, these all signified Christ. The Passover, these are ways in which Christ was presented in the Old Testament. And from Genesis to Revelation, it is one unified covenant, which tells us of our need to be cleansed and how we need a new master, and that new master is provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to read a quote here from Ian Duguid. Duguid is an Old Testament professor. He was one of my Old Testament professors. He's written many commentaries on the Old Testament. He says this. He says this in Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. It's a thin book that was published uh, probably about 10 years ago. Ian Duguid says that the consistent and plain message of the gospel runs through every page of God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible's message of the gospel repeatedly points the saints of all ages and generations back to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that will follow. The point of the Old Testament is to illustrate to us the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. And the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 11, uh, uh, the confession, chapter 11 on justification says that even the justification, that is how we're forgiven of sins, the justification of believers in the Old Testament is the same as the justification of believers in the New Testament. So there's a unity that we are united to Christ, the new master, and, and it's the same master in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The difference between us and them is that they were living in the time of the promise, and we're living in the time of the fulfillment of that promise. But they were saved. They were justified through Christ in the same way that we are. Here are a few implications of what I'm saying. There's one people of God from the old to the new. 
There's one people of God. There's one way of salvation in the old and in the new. And the point that I would like us to draw from this unity is that while the Bible contains many moral principles by which we are to obey, the Ten Commandments is a clear, clear example. One of the points of these principles is to drive us to Christ, to show us that we need to be cleansed, that none of us can obey God's law, that we are enslaved to sin, and we need to be forgiven. One of the reasons that we have the moral principles in the Old Testament and in the New is to show us that we need to be cleansed. Therefore, the Bible is not simply advice about how to live. It's not simply rules about how you are to conduct your life. The Bible is God's word to us. It's a series of God acting in history to save his people and chiefly in culminating in the salvific work of Jesus Christ. It is about the person and the work of Christ. Therefore, it's not advice primarily. It's primarily to introduce you to a person who you need to be united with. If that's what the Bible is, how does it benefit us? How does this new master benefit us? And here, I would like to, before going to Romans chapter 6, I would like to give a few examples throughout Scripture. Throughout Scripture, we are told that we are united together with Christ. Here are some of the terms that the Bible uses. Christ is the cornerstone. We are the temple uh, being built on this chief cornerstone. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you heard Pastor Johnson's sermon at Andrew Olson's memorial, he called Christ our elder brother. And in Luke 15, Christ is presented, even though it's not explicitly stated, Christ is our elder brother. We are called his brothers and sisters. I believe Hebrews also calls us his brothers. The Bible speaks of God broadly as a potter, that we are the clay. The Bible speaks of us as Christ's body and that Christ is the head of the body. The Bible speaks of Christ as the good shepherd and that we are the sheep. The Bible even uses the illustration, and it was used in the Westminster Larger Catechism, that Christ is our husband and we are the bride. Here are some of the verses that go along with that. In John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus is praying a high priestly prayer, and he says, may they all be of one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Ephesians 2, verses 5 through 6 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. 1 John 1, 3 says, 
that our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, one of the metaphors, and it's even more than a metaphor, is union with Christ, that we've been joined together. In fact, all of the other, we have, we have a whole host of theological terms, justification, sanctification, adoption, all of these things to signify that we've been cleansed and forgiven of sin. God has imputed Christ's righteousness to us, uh, that we are dying to sin and living to righteousness and sanctification, that we've been brought into the family of God. I'm using all of these terms to show you this, that none of those terms make sense apart from our togetherness with Christ, our union with Christ. He is the chief benefit. It's not that we just get things or a new relationship, although we do get that. It's that we have a person, that you and I get a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are united together with him. Romans chapter 6 is about our union with Christ. And of course, I've heard it preached and taught. It's about how we have been set free from sin. And of course, it is true. That is what this is about. In verse 5, it tells us that we've been united with him so close. We are so closely together with Christ that we've been united with him in his death, in a death like his. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We've been set free from the reigning power of sin. We are no longer under our old master. I think about our, the dog analogy. We've been brought into a new home. We've been given a new master. And regardless of how we feel about it, and regardless of how that dog felt about my my, own, my house, he belongs to a new, a new master. He will be treated differently. Whether or not you feel this way, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been united to him, then you've been set free from the ruling power of sin. And therefore, verses 11 and 12 say that we should consider ourselves dead to sin and let not sin reign in our mortal body. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present your members as instruments of righteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who've been brought back from death to life. But there is a more narrow question that I would like us to consider this evening, or a more narrow application. And it made me think of it particularly in verse 6 when it says that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Our old self. Scripture's teaching is that you're so closely united together with Christ that he's given you a new self. We're told to put off our old self and put on the new self. When I was a little older than a boy, a young man, maybe late teens, early 20s, I, can, I had what I can only describe as an identity crisis. <laughs> I didn't know 
I had all of these decisions to make, and I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where to begin to make decisions. I didn't know how to make decisions because in a real way, I didn't know who I was supposed to be. And have you ever known somebody who was starved for validation or acceptance, who didn't really have a sense of themselves? Well, I was that, that was that person. I was that person. And what I would like to focus tonight about union with Christ is how union with Christ gives us a new identity. And I know that language identity is more of a modern term, but I think it's, I think it's included here. The idea is included, and here's what I mean. There's many people today who need a sense of self, of value. They need to know that they're worth something, that they, they have significance, that they have a purpose. In traditional times, usually your identity, that self, was given to you, maybe even forced upon you by like an arranged marriage, or by if your father was a blacksmith, you would become a blacksmith, or if your father was a potter or something, you would become a potter. But you and I live in the modern world, and in the modern world, many people think today, say today, that you have to go find yourself and create an identity for yourself. You have to find, you have to look inside you and find your passion and find your desires and create a sense of self that way. So what I'm hoping to say to you, well, I hope to be helpful to you, is what I would like to have said to my former self in this way, that Many people seek to find themselves, they wouldn't put it this way, but in friends. Friend, the Bible says there are many different desires that we have. Some of them are bad, some of them are good. Let me give you some good desires that people have that you might have that are good. Friendship, the desire for friendship, this is a good desire. The desire potentially one day if the Lord wills to be married, that's a good desire. The desire to have children if the Lord wills. That's a good desire. The desire to have a career, to provide for a family, that's a good desire. But here's the question. Are any of those desires your identity? Are any of those things who you are? And the answer, scripturally, is no, they aren't. You may not have any friends. You may never get married. You may never have children. You may never have a career. And guess what? You still are united to Christ by faith if if you have put your faith and trust in him. Don't look inward to seek who you are. Instead, look to Christ. Because in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a person who has given to us not just an identity, but he's given to us everything that he is. Everything that Jesus Christ is, by faith in him, you are. His righteousness is given to you. Now, I want to be careful. I don't mean to say that you are the son of God. You aren't. I want to be careful. I'm not saying that you are deity. But what I'm saying is this, that if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then he has achieved for you what you could not achieve yourself. His righteousness has been given to you. All of your failures, your sins have come down upon him when he went to the cross. In the Lord Jesus Christ, consider for a moment his person. When he came, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather taking the form of a servant, he came to serve. Now, consider what this means, that when Jesus Christ came, if you read the Gospels, you don't have someone who is confused about who he is. The Lord Jesus isn't searching for an identity. He knows exactly who he is and what he has come to do. He did not come to find an identity, but rather he came to sacrifice himself for you. He came to, in some sense, you might say, give himself up for you. That's how strong his identity is. That he could lose, you might say, all of the worldly honor, all of the, all of the worldly privilege. He could do that for you. And when he went to the cross, if you were united together with him, we can say, as it says in verse 8, if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Therefore, everything that he won, you have, regardless of whether you feel like you have an identity, regardless of whether you feel like you are united to, together with Christ, regardless of whether you feel like you're a something or not, if the creator of the universe says that you're a something, then you're a something, regardless of how you feel about it. Let me give you two takeaways that if you know who you are in Christ, then these two takeaways will, will be great benefit to you. First, don't pursue a job or a spouse or children or all of these things in order to achieve something in life. Don't seek yourself in all of these things. There are many people who do. And I don't want you to be seeking yourself in one of these things. These things are wonderful things, gifts given to us by God, but they are not the gift given to us by God. That is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have already everything that you need in Christ, and therefore you don't have to go out and try to achieve worth or purpose or significance. You already have it. You already have God's love and his acceptance. Therefore, you can serve God, not trying to earn it, but rather knowing that you already have it in Christ. And so you can serve him out of gratitude, and you can go into these various roles in life knowing who you are. Not seeking to find who you are, but already knowing who you are. Here's the second thing. If you've been united to Christ, and if you are seeking to follow him, then the consequence of this will be that you can, in your life, lose yourself for the sake of other people. This is what Jesus Christ did. He did not say to others, you must sacrifice for me, but rather he said, I will sacrifice me for you. I will give up my comfort. 
I'll give up my worldly honor. I will give up my, all the things that I have a right to. I'll give those things up for you. And if, if you've been united to Christ by faith, then that enables you not, not to seek from others what only Christ can give, but rather that enables you to sacrifice yourself for the sake of other people as Christ sacrificed himself for you. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I want to go back to my former self and say this. Don't go on a self-discovery journey. Don't don't go on a, a journey to find who you are. You need to put your, your energy into finding Christ. And if you do that, Christ will find you. And in Christ, everything else will be thrown, thrown in. Don't seek yourself. Find Christ. And with him, everything else will be thrown in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you and praise you for the great work of redemption. We thank you that we have a new master who is not like our old master. You are the only master that gives us freedom from sin, true freedom. You're the only master that can give us a sense of who we are because, Lord, you've created us. You've designed us to live and feed off of you. You're the only one who could give us a sense of purpose and significance that does not change or fade You're the only one who could ever give us an identity that will last forever. And as great as this identity and significance is, we thank you most of all, not for that, but for Christ. He is the chief benefit. We have him. We don't need any of these other things. We thank you and praise you for all that he has won for us. For the forgiveness of sins, for the freedom of from the reigning power of sin, for the the holiness and righteousness that is bestowed upon us. We thank you for all of these things, but chiefly and mostly, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may he comfort us and assure us all of the days of our life that, that he would be our husband and that we would be his faithful bride. And that that relationship, that Christ himself, Lord, would would feed us, would lead us, would comfort us, would nourish us, until one day we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We long for that day, and we praise you for all that Christ is and all that he has done. In Jesus' name, amen.